Hey, thanks for having me here and being willing to listen to me again. Uh, we're going through a series on 1 John. And I don't know about you, but I find 1 John a little tricky because it's a lot of repetitive language and it kind of goes back and forth and there's lots of contrasting ideas. And uh, what he's done is he's written a really beautiful sermon to his people and something about it in translation just makes it feel cryptic. So I don't know if you feel that way, but as I've been reading through the letter, um, it's felt a little bit confusing. But what I really like about this section is I feel like it's the clearest John gets for me in his entire letter. So I'm really happy to be preaching on this, this section. And I think it's, it's immensely helpful. <clears throat> so I'd like to just start by reading the passage and then we'll, we'll get into it. So you can open up to 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. Or you can just listen, because it was meant to be read out loud anyways. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not <clears throat> love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. <clears throat> this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the power of the spirit he gave us. All right. <clears throat> So that's 1 John 3, 11 to 24. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's hot and dry. <clears throat> and um, as I was reading through the epistle and thinking about this idea of love, I realized I don't really know what love is. And I have a foot in two worlds. I have my Christian faith and community, and then I work in public education. And I don't know what people mean when they say the word love, but I'm pretty sure everyone's trying to be loving. Everyone I meet everywhere wants to be loving. And they claim to be loving, and they claim that what they're doing is the most loving thing. So all, all I do is meet people who want to be loving. And there are all sorts of people who believe all sorts of different things. So I go, oh man, I don't know what love is. I've forgotten or I need to be reminded. <laughs> and um, 
what we tend to like to do is we like to describe love <clears throat> based on who we are or whatever camp we're in. But the problem isn't a group problem. The problem isn't a political problem, it's a people problem. As I meet and talk with all of you and I listen to my family and then I go to work, I hear uh, people trying to be loving, but I don't think we've gotten there yet. And what people end up doing is rooting love in something that really isn't love, primarily themselves. But I kind of see it in two ways, and, and all different peoples from all different walks of life do this, okay? Is there's people who say, uh, the most loving thing I can do is to be correct. I'm gonna have correct thinking. I'm gonna vote the right way. I'm gonna be on the right side of history. If I am right about this, the most loving thing I can do is tell you what's true. And so I'm just gonna love you by being honest or something. And uh, I've heard this people say, facts don't care about feelings. It's just true, it needs to be said, and this is what love is. Except it doesn't look like love and it doesn't feel like love. But there's this whole way of people trying to love that isn't loving, me included, that's what we could just call religiousness. So I'm gonna have the right behavior, I'm gonna do the right thing, I'm gonna say what's true, and if I do that, I'm loving you, but the problem is, what you're really saying is, you're loving. If being right is most loving and I'm right, then who's most loving? Oh, I'm most loving. That's really what we're saying, right? And so, um, as I reflect, I really um, uh, saw this like in past and present things, but let me kind of jump to the other side. So there's a, the religious side, and then there's what we might characterize as a rebellious side, where people who make love about a feeling, they would use words like authentic. I need to be true to who I am. They, they love when they feel like it, how they feel like it. And so what they're doing is saying love is a feeling, and if love is a feeling, then it's based on how I feel, so I'm love. That's kind of the crime of both, is they're not loving because they're saying I'm love. But this side goes I need to be right, and this side goes love is a feeling. And then they're ruled by their feelings, and then they don't end up being loving. And so this is how I think I see myself and people everywhere trying to be loving. And so the, I go, what is love then? If, if it's just me, if it's just you, I don't think I'm love, I don't think you're love if we're making it about us. So I uh, experienced this, or I, th I think I saw this during COVID. People went, um, authority figures and people said, uh, this is the right thing to do. The facts don't care about your feelings, this is what science says. You follow the science and it's the most loving thing you can do for your neighbor. Okay, and then people on the other side said, I don't trust who's in power. 
So I'm not gonna do anything they say. I'm not following any of the rules because it's unloving. And so you get people who said, follow the science, follow the rules, don't think too hard about it, just do what we say. That's most loving during the pandemic. And then there's folks who said, this is, uh, uh, there's power at work and I can't trust it and so I'm not gonna follow the rules. And so they felt indignant or whatever, or they got angry or afraid, I think we were all afraid, and they rebelled. And I'm not gonna follow any of the guidelines. And both people claim to be loving. That's the tricky thing is, is when we talk about people in groups, we kind of dehumanize them, but when I like actually talk to people, they're all like, I, I wanna receive love and I wanna be loving and I think this is the most loving way. Correct or emotional. It's just not love. That's just not what love is. Because ultimately we're saying I'm most loving because it's based on what I think is right or based on how I feel in any given moment. And then we find ourselves just tossed around like a boat in the ocean. And I don't know what love is. And I can't, can't tell what's loving in any given moment. Because I'm pretty sure we're just saying I'm most loving. So this is a problem to me as I see it. And that's why I don't know what love is. And I think I see myself and everyone from all walks of life making love about these two things. And then what we do is we pendulum swing between them. I do it all the time. I'm pretty sure I'm mostly parent out of emotion. And then I'm pretty sure I mostly uh, talk to my wife out of being correct. Right? So I'm guilty of both, but I, we all know where we like to start on this swing, right? Some of you like to start over here with the feels, and then I like to start over here with being right. And then I'll feel certain, and I'll feel loved, and I'll think I'm being loving because I'm right on this issue in the conversation with my wife. And I find that whether she's stuck on being right and I'm being emotional, doesn't matter who, we just get both more entrenched in making love about ourselves. And then I feel stuck. Because the more emotional I get, the more she gets stuck on being right. And we're not loving each other anymore. I'm not loving my children. When I have to play the authority card or when I just act out of my feelings. I can't love my kids like that. I can't love my wife like that. So do you see the two problems? And I hope you see yourself in them. And I'm guilty of both. In fact, I feel trapped between both. And um, I think we have our favorites. And you might know what yours is. Mine's over here. I like to start on this side. Um, John says in his letter, through the story of Cain and Abel, what love isn't. Because love is not this, and love is not this. So if you want to, you can turn to Genesis chapter 4, or you can just listen. But I think John is very intentional when he uses the story of Cain and Abel to say what love is not. It says in Genesis 4, Genesis 4 that Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. 
Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not lurk with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother, let's go out to the field. While there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? So what's really interesting and helpful about the story is I think uh, John is showing us what love isn't, which is uh, correct behavior and emotions. And we see Cain go through the full pendulum swing. So uh, I think you and I as the reader set up a little. We get told that Cain comes on the scene first and the mom's like, I got a man. And then Abel came along. And then we get into the offerings and Cain gives some fruit, but Abel gives the first fatty meat of his firstborn flock. Right, and let's be honest, what's a better offering? There's one answer, it's fatty meat. <laughs> like, I like fruit, but come on, if you're gonna offer something to God, it better be some fatty meat of the firstborn. Otherwise, what are we doing here, right? So I think you and I were set up to go right Cain's offering or Abel's offering is better because he gave like the fatty meat. Yes. And then um, Cain's offering is rejected and he gets angry and God says to him, uh, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And I don't know if there's, you know, any tone to God's words, but Cain's problem is that his offering to God, I think Cain's problem is that offering to God is all about behavior. Look, I gave you an offering. This is what you wanted, right? Here's some fruit. I'm reading into it a little bit, but I think the story is supposed to set you and I up to think that Abel's a little bit better at this. And God isn't actually looking for the better quality offering. He's looking for something else that Cain doesn't have. And when God does not show favor to Cain's offering his behavior, the right thing he was supposed to do, he gets angry. And not just like frustrated, it means like deep in your bowels, anger, injustice. This is not a, oh, you didn't like, this is you've rejected me anger. And then he says, look, sin is crouching at the door. It wants to rule over you and you must rule over it. And as a sign of Cain's continual problem, that it's, he's not actually onto love, he moves from performance, religion, 
to emotion, anger, and it leads to murder. So Cain lives out that pendulum swing I think you and I feel stuck in. And this is what someone who is feeling religious does. They look at their brother and sister in church and they start to compare. And how much time do you volunteer? How much time do you give? Oh shoot, you must love God more. Maybe I have to give more. Maybe, maybe I should work harder. Maybe my offering wasn't better. Maybe I didn't sing loud enough. That's what, that's what the, the religious heart does with love, is it makes it about performance and evaluation and behavior and what's the right thing to do? How much do I give? That's not, that's not a loving heart. Or we just love when we feel like it. Or we love because we don't feel like it. Or we say, I can't love you because I don't like you. How often do we not love people because we don't like them? When does loving people have anything to do with liking them? Should I say never? I'd say almost never. <laughs> liking people is not a prerequisite to loving them. It just can't be. And so this is what the religious and rebellious person does in these moments, just like Cain, is they've missed love the whole way. Now God gave Cain a way out. We'll get to that later. God gave Cain a way out. But Cain missed it. And he did that pendulum swing. He got trapped, like I feel trapped in my marriage and in my parenting and at work. I was recently um, in a meeting near the end of the school year and it was administrators, counselors, and teachers about a student. And the student had um, managed somehow to uh, fill a bucket full of urine and throw it on a wall. High school, high school student. And so I'm sitting in the meeting and everyone there is trying to figure out how do we best love the student? Again, this is what's tricky. I looked at everybody in the group and I went, man, I like, you're all just wanting to love this kid. This is so obvious, they all wanted to love him. And then, you know, some teachers spoke up and they're like, I failed that kid at 49% because that kid never came to my class on time and I'm not giving them 50%. I'm almost literally quoting somebody. It's like, really? Like, what's 1% over the course of a semester, your name at the top of a page? Like, I'm a teacher, I don't even know what 1% is <laughs> at the end of a semester. And they're like, but they, they were rude and disrespectful and they were never on time and I'm not passing them. Wow, religion, that's not love, that's self-righteousness. That's I'm gonna be right and I'm gonna hold you to some behavior. And it's like, well, this kid's traveling from Surrey and they have to look after their siblings and maybe there's abuse. I mean, wouldn't you be late to work if you had to live in that, right? Like, come on. <laughs> and then we go to the other side and some teachers or administrators go, look, we don't live in the same world as this kid. 
I don't get what his reality is. I haven't experienced what he's experienced. Maybe this made sense to him. Maybe this was the only right thing to do. So maybe there should be no consequences for throwing a bucket of urine on the wall. I mean, that's not a very impulsive behavior. You have to plan that. And I don't know whose urine it is, but you had to like get the bucket and find a donor, and then you had to pick the wall, and you had to hurt, like it's not, it's not a crime of passion. Like that's a, in, that's a uh, it's definitely a cry for help, right? And of course, like, you sh- man, we need to feel that this kid is really getting dealt some injustice. And I don't think we excuse that behavior. I don't think we let our compassion decide what's loving. I'm not saying don't be compassionate. This is not an anti-feeling message. Feelings are very important. But feelings don't tell me how to be loving. So you go, wow, what wonderful people I work with who all love and care about this kid and no one is loving, including me. (laughs) I have no idea what to do. I'm probably the youngest teacher in the room. So I mostly just go, Holy Spirit, I'm anxious. No one here is loving and I have no idea how to be loving. Help. I need a way out. So I can see this at my work. I hope you see it at your work. This is a people problem, right? This is, this is a story as Cain and Abel, as old as time. We think we know what love is, we think we're being loving, but actually we're just making love about us, whether it's being right or self-righteous or feelings. And it's not love, it's just not love. I can never love my wife and kids in that pendulum swing. Can't love my students who, who desperately need love. And you can feel how much love they need and they, and they're denied it, and it's heartbreaking. So thankfully, John gives us a way out of this pendulum swing trap. He says in verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. When I feel stuck in a conversation with my wife where I'm being emotional and she's just going, look, if you just understood where I was coming from, you wouldn't be so hurt. Ever had one of those? You can have those with friends, with anybody, right? And when we feel stuck, there's a third person in the room. It's called the Holy Spirit. Because for sure I'm not loving, and for sure she's not loving, but we are called to bear the image of the one who is loving. So we have to pause, and we have to say, I'm not loving, are you feeling, no, no one's feeling loved. Who's, where's the loving person? It's the Holy Spirit. And he's here right now inside you and me, and we appeal to the Holy Spirit. And we ask for forgiveness. And then we obey out of that forgiveness. And it's what gets us unstuck. He says here in verse 20, if our hearts condemn us, 
we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. If you're in a work situation, a relationship situation, whatever it is, if you're feeling stuck, or at least you can tell what your favorite side is, and now that we know you're going to pendulum swing, how do, we, how do we check our pulse? How do we take a moment to deal with real love? Well, the way out for those who are religious who need to be right is forgiveness. Nothing melts my crusty, performance-driven heart when my wife forgives me in a way I don't deserve it. And that's not rooted in emotion, because if I've, I've hurt her trying to be right, she has every right to feel hurt. She may not feel like forgiving me, but she does, because she made a covenant, and in that covenant there's a greater love than either one of us, and that's Jesus. And so I'm saved, I'm healed when she bears the image of God's love and decides to go first and extends me forgiveness when I'm being right and self-righteous. Likewise, if love is about emotions, you can't just say you're loving. If someone in this church has a need, you can't just say, I'll pray for you. Who's done that? I've done that. Don't, don't answer, but I've done that. I'll pray for you. John says, no. He can't just say, I'll pray for you. Please pray for people. <laughs> but he says, you have to go give in need. Right now, go help them move. Sign up for the meal train. Give them money. And you go, well, I don't like them. <laughs> uh, um, we really disagreed during COVID. Uh, we have different policy stances, different politics. Doesn't matter. Different theology. Doesn't matter. Past hurts. Uh, don't brush it under the rug, but th you are still called. The way you get out of rooting, thinking love as emotions is by obeying. You've been commanded. John said you have been, this is a command. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, because he is love, and then love another person. Not when you feel like it, when they need it. Right now. And when that moment of need arises our community, the religious person goes, um, how much? Could I give you five hours? How about 10? What, uh, what did that other person give? Did they give $50? Let's give 60. Like, thanks, Cain. Like, that's, you know, it's like just the offering. No, that's not love. And then over here, you're like, well, I don't like them. I don't feel like it. We've had a disagreement. It's really hard right now. I've had a bad day. That's not love. Go love them. You were commanded to obey, and now you're set free. But forgiveness and obedience requires a greater love than you that has been given to you before you deserved it, and then empowers you through the presence of the Holy Spirit to get you unstuck. Cain's issue was not the quality of his offering. Although, come on, fatty meat, right? We all know. But it wasn't the quality of the offering. 
He lacked faith. He lacked faith the entire way. He didn't give an offering in faith. He didn't respond to God in faith. And in faith, he didn't rule over his emotions, so his emotions ruled him. You cannot get out of this if you don't have faith in a greater love. There's just no other way. It's the only way I get unstuck with my wife and children. Because, come on now, if you've had kids or you work with kids, for sure they're not loving. Right? Hi, Bailey. <laughs> for sure, love you so much. For sure they're not loving sometimes, and then for sure I'm not loving. So now what do we do? Well, who's the adult in the room? Who goes first? I need faith to do that. I just don't have enough love to give my kids. And I hear, I hear my wife say that because, you know, they're really drawn to her and, and maybe kids are like that with moms mostly, but it just feels like to her that the kids demand more than she can give. And it's true. So she can't love them when she feels like it or when she feels tapped out. She's commanded to keep loving her children. So then what do we do? If we're condemned, we appeal to the Holy Spirit and say, forgive me. And then we appeal to the Holy Spirit and say, fill me again with that love that I'm not, that I may participate in the vocation of image bearing. It's the highest order of calling in whatever job you do that you would actually receive God's love through faith and give God's love through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no other way to get unstuck and everything else is not love. Everything else is not love. And I really want to believe that being right is kind of loving. And it's not. John 3.16 did not say, because God needed the world to know he was right, he sent his only begotten son. John 3.16 does not say that because God so uh, oozed with empathy, right, that he was overcome that he sent his son. No, it's God so loved the world. And he loved them to the point of death, even death on the cross. I mean, if God's just loving people when he feels like it, he's not making it to the cross. Because he died for like everybody, even his enemies. So you and I are called, starting here, to love one another. You're commanded to. You're commanded to. And if you have time, give time. And if you have money, give money. And if you have skill and trade, give skill and trade. And church, I know you do this. I watch you do this. I see our community actually by faith engaging in real love. But I also see us and myself get stuck and I wanna get unstuck. And I want you to get unstuck with me. And when we go out of here into the world, they're stuck, just like we get stuck. We gotta take something with us to help them get up stuck because it's our highest vocation, whatever your job, to bear the image of a loving God in a world that does not know him. There is no greater calling. It's what it means to be a Christian.
and this is the way out. So at this time, I'd like to invite those up who are gonna distribute the elements. We're taking communion today. I think it's fortuitous that we're doing communion because what I think we like to do is, at least I certainly like to do this, but I don't think I'm alone, is we like to have thoughts, we like to have feelings, and we like to separate them from our actions. I think we really like to kind of live inside of ourselves. And, and we don't, it's, it's hard, it's vulnerable to make the connection between what you think and feel to how you actually live. But communion, the Eucharist, is the reminder that there is one person who did what they said, that thought what they did and felt love for all of us, and his name is Jesus. And he took that commandment, that obedience, and the power of the Holy Spirit to the cross. And he calls us, whenever we gather, to, rem to remember this sacrifice, this greatest act of love the world has ever seen. Not because he needed to be right. He was condemned for crimes he never committed. And not because he felt like it. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wept blood and asked, if this moment could pass him. And God said, no. There is no greater love than this. That when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And communion is a tangible, spiritual reminder where you and I participate again afresh in the most powerful act of love ever committed for mankind. First Corinthians 11.23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Please eat the bread. Jesus, thank you so much that you didn't simply say you love the world. You lived and died that you love the world and your body is proof because of an empty grave. You actually lived out what you believe, that you and God are love. And you didn't need to be right, and you didn't do it because you felt like it. You were sent by the Father, and you obeyed, and you gave forgiveness. And it's the only way out, it's the only form of love. In the same way, 
after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we proclaim that through your body and your blood, that love isn't just what you did, it's who you are. You are love. I don't know what love is, but I know who love is. His name is Jesus. And your blood means forgiveness for my self-righteous heart. And your obedience means I have the power to obey also. And it's not possible without this incredible act of love that changed the cosmos. Drink this in remembrance of him.